Well, good morning, Mount Hermon. It is good to see you all today. I hope you had a wonderful night rest. And uh, I cannot express to you what a privilege it is to wake up cold. You, you know, Dr. Bailey, you said that yesterday of kind of the progression of the evening. You go to bed a little warm, and then you wake up, and you kind of pull the blanket up, and then one of you has to get out of bed and turn the fan off, and I mean, there's this progression. But when you wake up, and it's 105 at home with 100,000 degrees of humidity on top of that, and to wake up cold here is a gift from God. So anyway, thanks for sharing. For those of you that are here and used to that kind of thing, we're not, and it is a treat. So uh, good to see you. I told you yesterday I collect things, right? Well, I collect a whole bunch of really bizarre things. And some of the things that we collect, Jennifer helps me with this, we collect strange signs. So we have been known to pull the car off the side of the road and we take pictures of things. Some of you are just as weird as I am. And so we were like going out of a movie theater and we saw this one. Anyone caught exiting through this door will be asked to leave. <laughs> it's kind of a little bizarre. I thought this one was strange. I think I know what they meant, but uh, it's just it's, they need to work on how it's phrased here. Attention, toilet only for disabled, elderly, pregnant children. I mean, I'm thinking that is a very small slice of the human population there. It's a little, little weird. I can't remember who took this one, but it, that's just odd to me. Chicken, cats, children, slow down. I'm thinking lead with children, you know, at least. That's kind of weird. We're worried about our chickens around here. Jonathan's been talking about chickens, so... Um, Notice this one closely here. Uh, I appreciate this. I'm sure there was a caution. This sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead. Do you see that? Right down there at the bottom. It's somebody that was worried about insurance. You know, don't, you're going to get your hand cut on this sign. By the way, the bridge is out. So, okay, I took a picture of this one. I was in Malaysia and I walked into the grocery store. And this is what it said, <laughs> curved yellow fruit. <laughs> Have you ever heard it referenced as curved yellow fruit? I mean, globally, we polled and we call them bananas, but you can go buy yourself some curved yellow fruit <laughs> in case you need some. I think about road signs because um, it wasn't that long ago that we were teaching all of our kids how to drive. And, and we did the parent thing, you know, where parents teach your kids. Looking back, we should have just paid someone to do it, but that's another story. But some of these signs are bizarre. That's a bizarre sign. <clears throat> now that is apropos for California, though, with some of the hills and mountains, I get that. Um, I guess that's one way to phrase it, you know? <laughs> And I'm sure it took a committee to figure this one out right there. Brilliant. Brilliant. I don't know what else they were expecting. And if you travel like I do, this one's just weird because it's like, we just want you to know it's down there. You cannot get there, but it's down there. Trust us. 
And this is one, I don't know what you do if you get there. And, and obviously, some of the construction workers were having fun here because, because if you end up there, you can never do anything else. You're just there forever. Hold on, just, just a couple more and then we'll, we'll get spiritual here in just a minute. If you are ADD, that's just wrong. That is just wrong. <laughs> and then, and then there's this one. And some of you don't get it and that bothers me. And then in all seriousness. Well, that's an interesting sign. I wonder how that applies to the prophet Jonah. Hey, let's pray as we get started. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for family. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being called your children, being part of the family of God. We thank you for a good night rest. We thank you for your hand of provision that has bestowed grace upon grace to us. Undeserving sinners, men and women that have rebelled, that have run from you, Lord, help us as we open your word again here this morning and as we continue on with this powerful little story of a renegade prophet. And as we said yesterday, how true it is that sometimes we see ourselves more in this story than we care to admit. So as we continue to let the story unfold and remind ourselves of what we've already talked about and continue to move forward, may our hearts be open and may we continue to ask ourselves that great question, are we growing spiritually? So we commit this hour to you in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Well, I started off yesterday and I told you this little story about our daughter and when she grabbed hold of me at the airport and wanted to go home, you remember the picture that I gave us, and it is one that is part of my life forever, because she wanted to stand at attention and see if she had grown physically, and then she asked me the question later that night of, Daddy, why do big people stop growing? And it was that moment that the Lord started using that challenging me with another question of, why do big people stop growing spiritually? And I posed the answer to that yesterday in saying that we stop growing spiritually when we stop pursuing the heart of God. And I set that forward for us as we opened up this book of Jonah. And in particular, I challenged us to see that this little book is a literary masterpiece that is meant to teach. It's not just a quaint story that has some fascinating moments, and some of those moments we'll get to today. But 
it is a powerful unfolding of God's challenge to his people there in the Old Testament, that northern kingdom that found itself in that moment of time where things seemed to be going great externally, but their hearts were so far from what God desired. And there it was in terms of setting the background for this that Jonah was identified as the son of Amittai and he was specifically talked about in 2 Kings chapter 14 and it placed for us a time period in the reign of Jeroboam II and the prophet of God was called to leave God's country, the northern kingdom, to go into the heart of the Assyrian Empire. And while there were prophets that were continuing to minister there, remember in particular we talked about Hosea and Amos, why would God send his prophet to another country to bring about a very unique scenario, I think it's for a couple of reasons that we are going to begin to see. He is working with his prophet personally, but he is also reflecting back of what he longs to see back at home. Because in many ways, friends, the prophet represents the people of God at that time. And as it moves forward, we begin to see, yes, the callousness of the prophet himself and where grace upon grace is given to the prophet. Our question in many ways is, how does he respond? And we're going to see that as the story moves forward. Remember, one of the things I said about narrative literature, and when I teach this at the seminary, is that one of the dominant traits of narrative literature is the utilization of what is referenced as irony. And you remember that. It's an incongruity or a discrepancy. And we saw that at the very beginning because Jonah, if you recall, means dove. And his genealogical name, Amittai, is a play on words, meaning truth. And how ironic was that? That his name and reference was anything but who he was. And we saw that early on in chapter 1 where the word of the Lord came to this prophet, Yonah, son of Amittai, arise, go to the great city of Nineveh. And like all the other prophets who received a word from the Lord, we expected complete and immediate obedience, just like Elijah, just like Elisha, just like many of the other prophets. But no, not our prophet. When he received the word of the Lord, the text said, but Yonah arose to flee to Tarshish. And we began to ask ourselves the question, why? Well, maybe it was because of the sins of the Assyrians. I mean, after all, they were a brutal people. They did not worship the true and living God. They were involved in all sorts of practices that God called his people to not be involved in. But we couldn't run from the moment in the text when the author leads us and through utilization of words, through an emphasis of words, where he went down to Joppa. He prayed, paid a price for a ticket and he went down into the boat. The author, by the use of repetition, is showing us that we must hit the pause button and marvel at how one could actually run from God. And I challenge this with things that I reference as growth indicators. 
challenges, not just to the prophet, but to you and me. And remember, growth indicator number one was that a life that is growing spiritually is moving towards God's commands, not away from them, regardless of the difficulty. And you and I acknowledge that there is always a boat waiting at Joppa. Because just like the prophet, we have paid that fare and we have too many receipts at times in our lives where we have run from what God longs for for us. Well, the story continued, and you remember that in verse 4. God was not done with his prophet, and he unleashed a storm upon the prophet. And all the sailors were so afraid, according to verse 5, if you recall, that they cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But where was Yonah? Remember where he was? He had gone down into the belly of the boat and was in a deep sleep, I think, because he was running from the will of God for his life. In fact, the captain even came to him, do you remember? And he repeated the opening words of Yahweh. And he said, arise, get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. The storm continued, and the sailors cried out, and they said, let's cast lots. And you remember the storyline. The lot fell on Yonah. And they asked him after 20 questions, and he finally replies. And he said in verse 9, almost in a cliche, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And it was Edwin Good that phrased it this way, Jonah's theology is unexceptional, but like so much theology, it seems to make no difference to his actions. We are certainly intended to perceive the incongruity between the prophet's confession of God as creator of the sea and his attempt to escape on it. And it was then that even the Gentile sailors noticed the inconsistency of this one who said he worshipped and feared his God but was yet running from him. That led us to growth indicator number two. A life that is growing spiritually shows a consistency between words and works. And I was stunned after they asked him, what should we do? And Jonah said, throw me overboard and the sea will remain calm. But verse 13, that first little word says, instead, there they were, the Gentile sailors, attempting to save his life. And it was Perry Brown that phrased it this way, Jonah's fear is a feeble thing for all of its orthodoxy. The runaway prophet is shown in a bad light. The crew and the captain can teach him many a lesson about his own faith. And it was then that they, the Gentile sailors, cried out to the God of Israel, the covenant name for the God of Israel. And we were stunned at the end of chapter 1 when we looked at that great contrast between Jonah and the Gentiles. And indeed, they showed him many a lesson about his own faith. And we wrapped up with growth indicator number three, a life that is growing spiritually exhibits a testimony to the non-believing world, not the other way around. And oh, how God longed for his people to be a light to the Gentiles. And so even it is true of you and me today, we are called to be ambassadors for him. That as we ourselves are grace 
recipients. We are called to be grace givers. And so the story continues. And yesterday I told you that we would solve the mysteries of the universe with that one verse that has baffled people and theologians and commentators for years. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jonah chapter 1. And we are looking at the very last verse, chapter 1, starting in at verse 17. And it says this, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now this is one of those hinge verses. Now what I mean by that is that even in the Hebrew text, it is actually the beginning of chapter 2. It is the first verse. Because it is that verse to where, remember, at the end of chapter 1, Jonah is launched overboard and the Gentiles make vows and offer, and offer sacrifices. And Jonah is now cast overboard and the text says that the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I must admit that when I was a kid, this was the most fascinating part of the story. Anybody want to agree with me on that? I mean, everything else, I'll be honest, as a child and I'm watching it all, we had in our children's church program this ancient technology called a flannelgraph. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? And I can picture our teacher right now pulling out this big giant fish and there's Jonah with his arms out like this. I'm dying! And up comes the fish and swallows him. And I thought, that would have been so cool to be inside of that big giant fish. Now, it's fascinating. When you read commentaries on this particular part of the story, this is where there is a parting of the ways. Many times you'll have individuals, as we talked about yesterday, that will use this because of this moment and say, well, this is totally a parable because everybody knows that a human being cannot be swallowed by a big giant fish and live to tell about it. Well, on conservative sides, there have been studies that you would not believe about the size of the stomach of the sperm whale and the blue whale, and the oxygen ratio that would be needed inside of that stomach, the average size of a Hebrew man at that time would have been this, and the oxygen that would have been utilized, and how he could have lived, and the details are out there. I'm going to save you all of that pain of reading every zoological study that is, exists on this particular verse. I want to solve it for you right now. If you and I, friends, by faith, can believe that God spoke the word and brought all things into being, Amen. right? If we can believe by faith that Enoch walked with God and then was no more. If we can believe by faith that God wished Philip away. By the Holy Spirit after that wonderful message was given to the Ethiopian eunuch. If we believe by faith that a man named Jesus Christ lived 
and died and got up from the dead. We have absolutely no problem believing that our God can build, design, place a fish that is big enough to swallow, hold, provide, deliver, incarcerate, and then puke up any time that God so desires to do. Mystery solved. Amen? Amen. There we are. So, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Yonah. And Yonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And I imagine, my friends, it stunk to the high heavens. Friends, don't miss it right here at the very beginning of chapter 2. There's a growth indicator for you and for me. Growth indicator number four, if you're taking notes, is this. A life that is growing spiritually acknowledges in response to the grace of God. A life that is growing spiritually acknowledges in response to the grace of God. You see, friends, when I think about this moment, that is not how you and I would have responded if we were God. I told you yesterday, I confessed it right out there in front of you, and I said, bon voyage, don't let the door hit you on the way out as you are thrown overboard. But God is not done with his renegade rebellious prophet. Isn't that just like God? Would you please do me a favor and shake your head yes? You want to know why? Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is God that, as C.S. Lewis says, released the hounds of heaven to chase you down. When we were undeserving, when we were condemned to hell, that our great God did not quit on us. And here we are today in Christ because of his grace for you and for me through a man named Jesus. This is the pattern of God. This is the faithfulness of God. And here in the midst of this story, God was not done with his prophet. A life that is growing spiritually acknowledges and responds to the grace of God. Back in the text, look at what it says. Chapter 2, from inside the fish... Jonah responded to the Lord his God. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you if you will do something a little weird. I'm going to ask you to not look at your Bible or your screen, if you have that Shekinah glow on you. And I'm going to ask you to simply listen to Jonah's prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents, they swirled about me. All your waves and breakers They swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? There is Yonah. He has been saved by God. By God's grace. There he is inside of this fish. And it is an amazing presentation that is given. And here's what I want us to see about chapter 2. It is a highly organized presentation. As a matter of fact, I want you to see that it actually is a psalm of thanksgiving. Now, in the Old Testament, if we were to go back and open up Psalms and look at the various types of psalms that are there. One categorization is referenced as a psalm of thanksgiving. And they're all organized a particular way. And, and here's what that organization is. There's always an introduction that kind of introduces the psalm. Then there is a recognition of past distress. So it's looking back and seeing here was what the problem is and then there is a presentation where the Lord answers the cry for help, and then it is followed by an acknowledgement of God's gracious act. Okay, now if we were to go and we were to have a time where we could study all the different types of psalms, we would see that that is one particular type of psalm, and they're all organized the same way. Now here's what's fascinating about Jonah chapter 2, this prayer. Uh, it follows this to the T. In the Hebrew ear, when they heard this, they understood that the division of these nine verses fall exactly according to the pattern of a psalm of thanksgiving. So, when they heard it, they knew what it was. It was Jonah's psalm. But... Here is the fascinating thing about this. None of these words are Jonah's. Here's what I mean. Jonah chapter 2 shows us that when we open up the Psalms as a whole, we see that Jonah, inside the belly of that large fish, in the midst of all of the stink... He packaged together from what he knew from the Psalms of his people. Now, here's what I mean when I say this. So I want you to look with me. We're not going to do this all the way through, although it is a very fascinating study to do this. But look, if you will, in detail at Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. It says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. 
From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Do me a favor and hold your finger there and turn back to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, in particular, all I'm going to do is just read Psalm 18, verse 6. Psalm 18, verse 6 says this. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Did you, did you hear the similarities there? Yeah. And friends, if we walked all the way through every verse, verse 3, Jonah cites from Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. And in verse 4, he cites chapter 5, verse 7 of Psalm 5, 7. In verse 5 and 6, he goes back again to 69, 1 and 2, and chapter 18, verse 5. All the way through Jonah chapter 2, every word is either, listen to this, it is either quoted verbatim, word for word. There are many phrases that are exactly the same. In other places, I could take us and I could show where he clearly pulls from there, but he summarizes. Do any of you ever summarize when you can't remember a text fully? Anybody in here? See, we don't think a thing about that, right? We have the old, I know it's in there somewhere, and it's kind of like this, right? And we kind of frame it when we're having a discussion with someone. Here's Jonah inside the belly of the fish. He doesn't have his scrolls with him, okay? He can't light a candle. He is just piecing together what has just happened to him. And he tells in detail, when I read it, did you hear it? Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I was going down. I was going down. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. I don't know what that moment was like when there he was, down at the bottom, and then all of a sudden, dun-dun. And grabs him in. And in that moment where he thought he was going to die, he realized that the grace of God preserved his life. And in that moment, he began to tell his story from the texts that he knew. He went back to the Hebrew hymn book and he pieced together his own individual psalm but he's not plagiarizing. He's simply pulling together to give a beautiful account of his story. So, I hope that when you look at Jonah chapter 2 and you see this beautiful presentation, you put it in a context where you realize he is pulling together to tell his story. See, friends, I think it takes us to another growth indicator. Growth indicator number five. A life that is growing spiritually knows and applies the Word of God. A life that is growing spiritually knows and applies the Word of God. Now, friends... If you have heard these two particular growth indicators today, number four and number five, number four being about the grace of God, and number five being about knowing God's Word, 
and applying God's word. The author has been doing something with us. You see, I want you to think about what's really going on in the text. And if you are like me, I promise I studied this for years and I missed it. I was so sucked into, yes, the grace of God saved and preserved him. Yes, here is Yonah, and he knows the word of God. You remember the, the way I phrased these particular growth indicators? Number four, listen, I used words specifically. A life that is growing spiritually acknowledges and what? Responds to the grace of God. Number five. Remember this specifically, a life that is growing spiritually knows and applies the word of God. Friends, when we are working all the way through this text, would you please forgive me for this horrible, horrible pun I am about to use? Something smells a little fishy here. Something's wrong. You see, I get sucked in, and I almost buy in to what is being presented. There is Jonah. God has preserved his life. He finally gets it. There is Jonah. He can quote the word. He can package it together. Man, I cannot help but think about what my brothers have been talking about this week. When Dr. Bailey started off and about the faithfulness of God. Oh, this is a story about the faithfulness of God, but it certainly is a story about the faithlessness of a prophet. When Jonathan talked about the fact that, oh, you can be awfully close but not be safe. Is it possible here that Jonah can go through all of the external motions, but something is still wrong here? Shake your head yes, because it is. Is it possible that here, even in the midst of it, in telling his story, he can put all the words together and ignore the issue at stake? Here's how I think I know this. Because the author powerfully follows up with this prayer with chapter 2, verse 10. Do you see what it says? It says, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Self-confession. I am a word nerd, to quote my daughter. And I was intrigued with that word vomit. Now, it's not often that in a sermon you get to say, friends, buckle up, we're going to talk about vomit. I have studied that word at length. And you know, it's actually a very fascinating word. Did you realize that every language from every people group has a word for vomit? And I have studied it at length. I looked and worked with some high-end scholars to look at the different language words for vomit, in particular in the ancient Near East. And do you know what this word means? It means... Vomit. <laughs> every word in every culture means the same thing. It means puke. It means an expulsion. It means that which brings about detest is eradicated. And listen to this, friends. Don't miss this one. I guarantee you the Hebrew ear did not. When they heard this prayer, they knew it was a psalm of thanksgiving. 
and it sounded really good. But God commanded that fish, the same fish that he designed at the beginning of this chapter and placed to hold of all the ways that God could have delivered his prophet. Remember the great chariot came down and delivered other prophets. But God told this strategic fish, after that strategic prayer, God said, puke him up. You want to know why? Here's why. This word, friends, is strategically used in the Pentateuch. In particular, in Leviticus chapter 18. I'm going to ask if you'll turn there. Leviticus chapter 18. It is a word that, yes, it means vomit. But it is a picture, a graphic picture of everything that that word implies. But it is used specifically in chapter 18 and elsewhere in the Pentateuch when God is talking to his people that when they go into the land of promise, the land that has been provided for them, he says very specifically, if you go into the land and you have unfaithful, unrepentant hearts, I will vomit you out of the land. Look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 18, starting in at verse 24. God says, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. The word that is used here in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 I believe, friends, is showing what God thinks about the current heart of his prophet. You see, they also use the word here. It says the fish vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. You remember where we last heard that word? In that theological cliche of chapter 1, verse 9, where he said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God who made the sea and the, say it, dry land. The author is purposefully heightening the words of Yahweh because I think something's going on here. Friends, perhaps this is an editorial comment by God concerning Jonah's confession, his promises and his vows, and the sincerity of his prayer. It sounds so good, but it is missing one important thing. James Watts, in a wonderful little book, The Song of the Ancient Reader, phrases it this way. He says, the prayer ignores the essential issue between the prophet and God, and that is Jonah's refusal of a prophetic commission. Don't get sucked in into the beauty of chapter 2, because why? You can be so close and yet so far. Jonah can say all the right words, and now even in this moment of 
temporary salvation for him in the belly of the fish. He packages it together and he coats it with the words of the psalm and he never confesses his sin. And what we talked about last night and Barry Jones brought us into that beautiful passage in the New Testament rings so true today. Growth indicator number six, friends. A life that is growing spiritually confesses sin, not pious words of religiosity. A life that is growing spiritually confesses sin, not pious words of religiosity. And so once again, I challenge us today. We all have our own board of attention. Place that little pencil on the top and draw another line. And ask ourselves some important questions as we start the day. Are we acknowledging and responding to the grace of God? See, friends, there's a difference between acknowledging and responding. Acknowledging is what Jonah did. He said it. He could state it. God did this. But responding is something totally different. I'll never forget hearing the words of Howard Hendricks in a Dallas Seminary classroom saying, Don't you ever forget that to know and not to do biblically is to not know at all. Is it possible that we're here even this week and oh, we acknowledge God's grace. We say it, we sing it, we can recite it. But do we walk around as people saying God's done it all? To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Question number two. Do we know and apply the word of God? You see, friends, there's a difference between knowing and applying. Is it possible that we sit in wonderful churches, Bible-believing, teaching, and we read it, and we are so fascinated with the facts and the figures that we forget that the Bible wasn't written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to change our lives. And as we talked about last night, how often do we really confess sins? It's almost a lost art in evangelicalism. When's the last time individually before the Lord with our families and even corporately that it's not just the pious words of religiosity, Lord, yes, please forgive us of our sins, but it's the loving engagement with the brother or sister to say, I have sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? When's the last time that that became part of our corporate expression of worship beyond just pious words? I encourage you, as I do myself, stand at attention at the board today and ask that question all over again. Lord, 
Am I growing spiritually? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this powerful little book. I readily admit to you that as I am in the midst of chapter 2, I get sucked into the beauty of it, and I, I miss, I believe, what you have been teaching all along. We can go through the motions, but we can't fake you out. You know our hearts, and all of our external words at times can be a facade for us ignoring the central issue as it was with Jonah. It can be so true of us. Lord, we want to be men and women of faith that are growing spiritually. We want to chase after your heart. We want to listen to what you have revealed. Help us, even this week, in a wonderful place, in a fabulous environment like this. Help us, if we have moments that we need to deal directly with you or with others, that we not run from that. We want to mature in our faith to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, by the power of your Spirit, to be more conformed, to be like our Savior. Help us today to do that. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.